Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today, we are going to be wrapping up a series uh, on pressure. We talked the last few weeks about pressure. We talked about uh, pressure and having faith under pressure two weeks ago, where we talked about faith forgets the ifs and talked about hope under pressure last week. Today, we're going to wrap it up with talking about love under pressure. Now, uh, last week, I told you how I went deer hunting. How have you guys have gone deer hunting so far? All right, so you guys. All right, so I went deer hunting last week, and then I had the privilege of, of cutting up the deer. And, and by the way, some of you guys are like, uh, you know, if you're a vegetarian or something like that, just get over it. God killed the first animal to clothe Adam and Eve. So just get over it. It's a God thing, okay? So uh, I, had, I had these deer steaks. We marinated them. Man, we put them on the grill. I'm telling you, it's like the best steak I've ever had, okay? I'm not, I'm not lying to you, okay? You guys are thinking, oh, I don't eat deer. No, it's the best steak. I don't care what kind of steak. best I've ever had. And so Becca and I are sitting there looking at each other, my wife, and we're just sitting there eating this steak, and we're just like falling more in love with each other as we're eating the steak. I mean, it was just, God was working. And so uh, there's some left. There was enough left that I thought we could have four more meals, me and Becca, and our love could just keep growing. Uh, but I do have children, and I thought, well, I better, you know, share with them or something, you know? And so the next night, we ate it together, and we finished finished it off, and it was just amazing. Every single one of them loved it. Now, here's what would not happen if I get another deer. You wouldn't get any of it because it's so such a precious commodity now. You know, now I've got the taste. It's just such a precious thing. So only few people who are near and close to me, you, I mean, you have to earn your stripes to be able to come and sit at my table and eat some of my deer now, right? So how many you guys know in life, you don't just let anybody sit at your table, do you? You don't just let anybody into your life in relationships. You don't just let anybody in your life, even at your natural table. If somebody is in your house, they're there because you hopefully invited them. If not, you're giving them hints to get out, right? I mean, if, they're, if you make it to my dining room table, it's because you're welcome there and I want you there, okay? Now, what we're talking about today, what Jesus is getting ready to do is gonna show us something about the table, about eating together that shocked religious people. Okay, you see, in ancient cultures, and especially in the Old Testament, in the ancient Israelite culture, you did not sit down and have a meal with somebody unless you were, according to ancient culture, unless you were willing to accept them as family. You didn't just go out and have a business meeting with somebody or didn't just invite somebody over your house randomly. You, it even goes further that you would be willing to accept their family in marriage even. I mean, it was a big deal. And so that's why so many times in, in the Old Testament Israel, you would have the, the, the Jews would never eat with Gentiles. You would never do that because you weren't willing to let an unbeliever in your house and accept them as family because they just weren't family. And so what Jesus does in the New Testament, he upends all of that. And what we're going to see in the story of Zacchaeus, how many of you guys remember that story? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. If you went to Sunday school, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Uh, if you guys didn't go to Sunday school, you won't understand that. All right, so I better read the story. All right, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. He entered Jericho. Jesus is going through Jericho. He's passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was a sinner. Uh, he was rich, you know. And, and so he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, there's so many people there, he couldn't see. And because he was small in stature, in the Greek, that means midget. Uh, that didn't go over in the first two services either. I thought I'd try it again. It didn't work. So just checking if you guys are paying attention. Uh, so he ran on up and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see God, to see Jesus, to see this man that they'd all heard about. And Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus was, and he looks up, and he, and he begins to address Zacchaeus out of all the people. 
He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. But again, remember what I just said. In ancient culture, you didn't just eat with anybody. And so the Pharisees or the religious people are looking at this, and they're saying in verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. They said, he is gone to be a guest of the man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house, because he's also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What was Jesus doing right here? He was opening up more room at the table. So my question to you is this, is there room for love at your table? Is there more room for love at your table? Or is it pretty guarded? Is it pretty closed off? Is there room for more love at your table? My parents were great at this when I was growing up. We got Thanksgiving coming up. We, we always had people living with us that my parents were taking in and trying to help. So even now, after I've moved out of the house, I never, they have a jail ministry and outreach and stuff. I never know who's going to be there at Thanksgiving when I go back there. I mean, they'll just be like, you know, okay, what, what'd you get out for? You know, uh, well, I had a drug conviction. What'd you get out for? Uh, I robbed a family at Thanksgiving. Mm, it's time for us to go, kids. Let's go. You know, <clears throat> you just never know. They were great at opening up their table. Is there room for love? At our table, you know, in June, there was a mass shooting. There's 49 people killed. And if you hear news like that and there's something about you devastated, it's probably a right emotion. If you find out that it was at a gay nightclub and that changes your devastation, there's something wrong. Not that we condone the lifestyle, but we open up our heart for love. And I, I just think that, that Jesus set this example of saying, I don't care if somebody is a Jew or a Gentile. I don't care if they're a, a believer or unbeliever. There's love. Not that we condone everything that everybody does, but that there's room in my heart to love other people. Christians throughout the centuries would do this. I mean, there have been Christians that would sell themselves into slavery to reach slaves. Think about that. They would sell themselves into slavery so that they could further the gospel. Christians in the second century, when there were plagues in Rome and everybody was getting out of town, even all the doctors were getting out of, out of the, the city, Christians were rushing in because they loved the people and they wanted to serve and help because they had genuine love on the inside of them. Many of those believers died. But some of the unbelievers who saw what the believers did came to Christ because they said there's something real about those people, that they opened up their heart when they didn't even have to open up their heart. And so Jesus even takes it further. If it's not enough to say, love those who aren't like you, Jesus goes further in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Not just talking about love those who, who like you or love those who aren't like you. He says to love those who hate you, who persecute you, who want to be spiteful to you. This is pretty radical, isn't it? This is not in any other culture, any other, I mean, this is Jesus all the way. He goes down in verse 32 and he says this, he says, if you love those who love you, what good is that to you? Even sinners love people who love them. So what's the big deal if you love those who love you? We're going to get into that here in just a little bit, but he's saying anybody can love those who love them. And so, and we see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone loves, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the God's love abide in that person? And so we look at these Christmas boxes we're sending out and we're trying to meet needs and trying to, you know, uh, reach people all over the world. If our heart is closed to that, how does God's love 
abide in us. And you, you might say today, you say, well, Pastor Sean, I got this down. You know, I love those who are far from God. I don't care. I love those who are different lifestyles. I love unbelievers. I love, you know, these, these children that were sent. I love these. I don't have a problem with that at all. I love them. I've got love in my heart for those outside these walls. Well, here's my question today. How would we know that that's real love and not just talk? How would we love that that's, know that that's real love and not just some conjured up emotion you're saying right now? You see, the Bible gives us a way to tell if that's real love or not. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. In other words, you can have hypocritical love. No one here likes a hypocrite, right? No one likes somebody who says one thing but actually is another. It's possible for you to have hypocritical love to those who are far away. It's possible. So what would that look like? What might be a test that we might want to look at? You see, even though Jesus said that, you know, anybody can love those who love, how many of you guys would agree with this statement that sometimes it's harder to love those close to you than those far away? Isn't it harder to love those who are closer to you? Because when the pressure cooker moments of life, when you're in your marriage and you got somebody up close, sometimes that's harder than to love an Operation Christmas child, isn't it? It's a lot harder to love someone who's close and near your kids. You're like, man, I'll love the kid across the world, but I don't really like the kid that's sitting in my house right now. You know, it's like it's harder to love that kid in your house than it is the one across the world. I mean, I remember having this thought when Becca and I were, you know, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, Becca and I were engaged, you know, we're, we're due to be married. I'm driving down the road. I had a real thought like this. And here was the thought, you know, because of our personalities, they just mix so well. Because of what God was doing in our life, it just was working so well. I had this thought, it's possible. We may have, when we get married, we may have the very best marriage ever on the planet in all of history. And I really believe that. We may have the best marriage ever. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Why? Because 20 years later, we're still trying to figure it out. You know, we're still going through stuff, right? Why? Because sometimes it's harder to love those close to you than it is far away. And in fact, we can look at Scripture and we can see that this is actually the case. You know, the real measure of your love is not that you can love those far from you. Get this. It's that you love those close. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says something even more extreme. Okay, watch this. It says it even more extreme. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. He's saying, you cannot say, I love God, if you hate your brother. If you, if you aren't willing to love your brother, then it's all lies. It's hypocritical love. So, so what he's saying here is you can't love those who hate you if you don't even love those who love you. You can't love those far from God if you don't love those who are close to God. You can't do it. If you say you love those far, if you say you love the unseen, but you aren't loving the visible, that's hypocritical love. Now, I don't know anybody here who wants to be a hypocrite, but hypocritical love says, I love the orphans around the world. I love all these people, but I don't want to get along with people in this room today. That's hypocritical love. And so the, so the Bible's very clear as to what a measurement of authentic love is. In fact, Jesus said that they, you will be known by your love, not for the world, but for one another. You'll be known by your love, one for another. So the evidence that you love people beyond these walls is that you love those who are within these walls. Let me say that again. The proof or the evidence or the measurement that you actually do love people outside of this room is that you first love people within this room. 
And if you can't get that going on, everything else is hypocritical love. So that's a pretty big challenge for us because maybe that's rocking our world a little bit. We're just, we, maybe we've never thought about it that way, but that's what the Bible clearly teaches. Let me even shock you a little bit further, okay, and show you how much the Bible talks about this in ways maybe you never thought. I found it helpful this week as I was studying Scripture. I found it helpful to replace the word brother when the Bible talks about brother with the actual real meaning of it. The real meaning of brother in Scripture, if you look it up, is near kinsman or fellow believer. So I'm going to read to you a scripture that I've actually already read. But when I read it, you probably thought about it in the context of ministry outside the walls. You probably thought of it in the context of missions. You probably thought about it in the context of reaching homeless people or ministering to orphans. You probably thought about it in that context, but let's read it in its true context. 1 John 3:17. Here it is again. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his near kinsman in need. Sees his, here's a real translation, fellow believer in need. If you see your fellow believer in need, yet you close your heart to them, then God's love can't abide in you if you're doing that. That's how, it's not talking about outside the walls, it's talking about inside the walls first. If you can't get it right inside the walls, it doesn't matter what happens outside the walls. Is that a little bit of strong preaching? That's okay, because that's my job here, so that's what I do. Let me, t- let, me show, let me take it even further, okay? We're going to take it even further. One of these scripture passages that you've probably heard a lot, I believe we read it one way and it applies that way, but I'm going to read it in a way that it could also apply and see if, how it affects you, okay? We, we've heard the scripture where it's the sheep and the goats, and what you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Now, let's read it again with the context of that. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Again, we're thinking outside the walls, you know, and it is outside the walls. We're thinking outside of our community. And, and when did we see a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see a sick person or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them again. Look, look at this. It says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my fellow believers. Now, if you just study that out, I believe it can work both ways. I believe it means both ways. But I want to show you that it's actually one way of reading this could be read in context that this is all talking about within the house of God. That if you can't do this right inside the walls, it doesn't matter what happens outside the walls. That this is first, all right? So the evidence that you love God is that you love his people. The evidence that you love those far from God is that you love those close to God. Are you guys getting this this morning? I know you're hearing it, but are you believing it this morning? Because it starts to have some responsibility with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it's kind of our key scripture throughout the whole series. It says, and now these three abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That word love is actually the Greek word agape. The word agape literally means love feast, okay? You're like, love feast? What are we talking about here, Sean? What is this? What kind of church is it? No, love feasts in Scripture, when, we, when they would receive communion, which we'll do here in just a minute, when the early church would receive communion, they didn't just have the little shot glass full of grape juice. and like, you know, They didn't have that at all. In fact, it was a feast. They had a big fellowship dinner. They had a potluck, if you will. They, had, they put on a party. How many of you guys would like to bring that back to communion? I mean, let's just bring back the food. Let's all just sit here and just eat while we're, we're worshiping Jesus. That's what they would do. They would have a big meal, and as a part of the big meal, they would have the cup that represented the blood and the, the bread that represented the body, even though it wasn't a little crack. It would be the bread, the break, and all this stuff. And so that was a big meal. 
In fact, it originates at the Last Supper when we see Jesus sitting down and instituting what we know as communion. He did this in the, in the context of a large meal. It was a big gathering. They had a huge meal, okay? And so they did this, and they're all sitting down. Jesus is sitting down with, with his 12 disciples. He's sitting down there, and they're having a meal together. And, and it's, it's a spiritual holiday of sorts. It's the Passover. It is, what's the Passover? You have to even go clear back to Moses. You see, Moses was uh, called by God to lead the children of Israel out of Israel. And there was a guy, named, a guy, Pharaoh, who was resistant to that. And the 10 plagues, if you don't know the story, you can go look it up. 10 plagues, one after the other. He wouldn't let him go, wouldn't let him go, wouldn't let him go. Finally, the 10th plague comes, and it's the plague of the firstborn. And this plague of the firstborn was that a spirit would wash through. And any male firstborn child would be killed as this plague came through, unless you would take the blood of a lamb and put it over the doorpost of your house. You see, if you did that, the spirit would come through and kill everyone. And if it saw the blood of the lamb on your house, it would pass over your house and move on. And so they celebrated the Passover for hundreds of of years, over a thousand years, year after year, they would celebrate this Passover when they were spared. They would celebrate the Exodus out of Egypt. But it wasn't just looking back at the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost. It was also looking forward to the day when the one perfect spotless lamb would give his life once and for all as a sacrifice for many, that he would start a brand new covenant, that the pure blood of the lamb would be enough so that we wouldn't have to have a sacrificial system where it wouldn't be about our works anymore. It wouldn't be about our good deeds anymore. It would be about his one good work, his one good deed, where once and for all, he paid for the price of all sin. How many of you guys are thankful for the pure and spotless lamb? That's what it was all about. And so Jesus is sitting down at this meal. Picture this. They've celebrated it for hundreds of years, over a thousand years in all of their history. They know about this Passover, looking back and looking forward to the lamb. And Jesus sits down at the meal, at the Passover meal, and he says, I'm what it's all about. All these years, you've been waiting. I'm him. All the fingers that pointed to God for thousands of years all of a sudden pointed to this one man. And by doing that, he shocked them and, and confirmed their faith. They had to believe. And it was the very thing that got him killed, that he claimed to be God. And so there Jesus is at the Passover, and he, he took the cup, and he took the bread. And it was, a big pass, it was a big love feast. That's what they called it, the love feast. It was remembering the love of God in a feast format. And so the early Christians would celebrate this, but somewhere around the second century, it began to be separated. The, the, the little cup and the bread became separated from the meal, and over time, the meal went away altogether. You see, this meal represented a relationship with God, but it also represented a relationship with other believers. That's what they were doing. They were sharing fellowship with one another. And so by separating the meal from the, the, the cup, they turned a relationship into a ritual. And you guys know that our relationship with God can go from a relationship to just ritual. Our, our going to church can come, you can go from being in a relationship with other believers and relationship with God to becoming a ritual. And that's exactly what happened in communion. And it became hypocritical love. Oh, it, you know, now it's got to be all formal and all this type of stuff. It was never like that in scripture. It was never like that. It was never how God intended. And so it all comes back to a table. And God opened up his table for more love. He opens up his table for us to share in fellowship with him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I'd also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, 
This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying the cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And that was what it was all about. So it all comes back to a table, okay? And I want you to really get this line that I'm about to say next. You see, a lot of us, we've traded our relationship with God for a ritual. We've traded our relationship with other believers for just a ritual of going through the motions. And if you find yourself at odds with a brother, you, you look at your own love and you say, man, I've got something against people. Do I really love God? Do I really love those outside the walls? Let me give you a test of how you know if you're walking in unforgiveness or walking in forgiveness. If you think about a person or a situation and the thoughts that come up about that person or situation are thoughts of compassion, thoughts of kindness, thoughts of empathy, then you may be walking in forgiveness. But if you have thoughts of anger, of unkind thoughts towards that person, of wishing ill upon that person, of find yourself justifying your own actions against theirs on the inside, you're walking in unforgiveness. And today, as we come to the table, I want to invite you to leave that burden at the cross, at the foot of the cross, as it were, and to release that to God. Because it doesn't matter how much you say you love those outside the walls. What really matters is how much you love those within the walls first. That's proof of your love. Let me read a last scripture here. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, listen, the, the, more, the more we see God's love for us, the more often we'll see God's love through us. Let me say that again. The more we see God's love for us, the more often we'll see God's love through us. I'm going to say it again. The more we can see God's love for us, the more often we'll see God's love through us. It's a capacity thing. If I take this glass of water, and this glass is only so big, and if God were to pour his love inside of this cup, and I wanted to give some of God's love to you, I could only give by the measure I have the ability to receive. The same is true when we come to the love of God. I can, if my cup is small, if I have a thimble-sized cup, and that's all I can receive of God's love, and that's all I see of God's love, that, that's all I'm going to give. And I can tell you, if you don't have much of, love, much of God's love to give, I'm telling you the reason why is because you don't understand how much God loves you. But if we could increase our capacity to be able to see how much God loves us, he will, he will give us the capacity to give love to other people. So verse 9, it says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? I don't know anybody here who says, I'm going to give my kids like a gift, and it's going to be like one that's going to like hurt them. Yeah. Let's give them a rattlesnake this year for Christmas. That'll be fun. Let's see what they do with that. No one here does that. Why? Because we love our kids, don't we? We love our kids. And it says, if you then, who are evil, what, what does it mean by this? Isn't this kind of a shocking statement that God calls us evil? If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask? Here's what that scripture means. He says, as much as you love your kids, and as much as you want to give them good gifts, your love looks evil in comparison to how much more I love you. I love you that much more that your own love for your kids is so in stark contrast. And, 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 and I know it myself, I love my kids. Uh, everybody here, I, I know you love your kids with all of your heart. God loves you so much more that your type of love looks evil in comparison to how much God loves you. 
It's amazing. The more we see about God's love, the more often we'll see God's love through us. So uh, when you first have kids, how many of you guys know this is a life-changing thing? When you first have a baby, I remember uh, having kids. There's a kid, you know, a baby can't do anything for you. All they do is poop, they stink, they make noises, they keep you up all night. They don't have anything to give that's positive, okay? They don't. And, and, and so they're, they're just annoying, right, in your life. But what happens? You love them when they can't do a thing for you. I mean, you, your love for them, they don't even know how much you love them. I mean, even when they're, they're not even born yet, you haven't even held them yet. And yet you're for nine months, you're thinking about them. You're loving them. You're preparing for them. You're buying things for them. They have no clue how much you love them. They, our kids have no clue how much we've thought about them, how much we prayed for them, how much we love them. They have no idea. So my, my daughter, Lindsay, she's my youngest, she's seven. We have this... Uh, this uh, stuffed rabbit, not a real one, uh, it's a stuffed animal that we bought her years ago. And here's a picture of it. Uh, she loves this little rabbit. She loves, this little rabbit is named Mr. Unbeknownst around our house. It's a long story, Mr. Unbeknownst. But Mr. Unbeknownst, it, bedtime stories, books have been written about Mr. Unbeknownst. Mr. Unbeknownst is legendary in our house. Mr. Unbeknownst goes everywhere. He goes on vacations with us. She loves Mr. Unbeknownst. Now, Mr. Unbeknownst, after having him for three or four years now, he's getting a little torn up. He's getting a little tattered. And so I'm sitting there thinking ahead for her birthday last year. And I'm thinking, I need to find another Mr. Unbeknownst (laughs) just in case. And so I start scouring the internet. We got at the dollar store or something. I I cannot find a Mr. Unbeknownst anywhere. I cannot find a rabbit that looks like this, which by the way, if you know where one's at, let me know, okay? Uh, Because I've looked. And so I've spent hours upon hours trying to pick out a gift for her that she has no idea how much I love her. She has no idea how much time. My kids have no idea how much time I've woke up in the middle of the night and I've thought about them and I've prayed for them. They'll never know how much I love them. They won't. They'll never know. My daughter, Lindsay, she draws me artwork all the time. Uh, some of the, This one here, Becca and I were on our, our uh, anniversary trip and she wrote this one, thank you for coming home. I <laughs> 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 think she thought I wasn't coming back, but... Uh, but I treasure this piece. You know, she writes me, makes other things. This isn't a Picasso. But you know what? To me, it's priceless. And I treasure it. She has no idea how much I treasure this. She writes me notes. She writes just something very simple. And I keep this on my nightstand by my bed. She has no idea how much I love her. She has no idea how much she means to me. When, when she was just a baby, I'd hold her and she'd put her head upon my shoulder. I was the only one that she would ever do that with. And so even at one year old, I'm holding her. She would just put her head on my shoulder and I'd just soak it all up. Two years old, five years old. I don't care. I'm hanging on as long as I can. She has no idea how much I love her. Can I just suggest to you that you have no idea how much God loves you? You have, in the same way, you'll never know the hours that God spent thinking about you. You'll never know the things about you that you don't even think a thing about, but God treasures. You'll never know. You'll never know how much God loves you. You never know how the little things that God treasures up in his heart. You don't know how much God loves you. But I can tell you this, as much as you love your kids, that kind of love looks almost evil in comparison to how good God is to you. 
And somehow, ironically, just knowing that helps us see a little picture of God's love for us even, even more. And I want to suggest today that the more we see about God's love, the more often we'll see God's love through us. The more we see God's love to us, the more we see God's love through us. And if you're looking at your heart right now and you're like, man, I've got some things in my heart towards my brothers, towards my marriage, towards my friends, towards people close to me. But I love all these people outside the walls. I love all these people. No, you do not. Can I just say it frankly? You do not. I pray in today that our capacity would increase to receive God's love. And as we come to the table, as we wrap up this service and we come to the table and we receive communion, we're remembering the body, we're remembering the blood, but we're also making a statement that we also remember the love that we share here in this room as believers in Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're making a statement that our faith, our love is gonna grow stronger towards one another as we receive more of God's love. Can you guys stand up with me as we get ready to receive communion? Just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I'm gonna pray. Lord, I pray right now for those who recognize a block in their heart right now about an area that maybe haven't been very loving. Maybe we've been looking outside the walls, but, but you put some people very close to us. Lord, I, I pray that there would be healing and capacity would be expanded, that there would be a revelation of your love. And as we come to the table, we remember your sacrifice. We remember that your body was broken for us, that your blood was spilled, that you were that perfect spotless lamb who for all time died once for all so that we might step into new life in Christ by faith. And Lord, as we come to the table, Lord, we remember that. Lord, I pray, listen, if you're here and, and you've got something in your heart, the Bible says that as you come to the table, as you come to the altar, make sure you get that right when you come to the altar and leave that at the altar. Surrender that, confess that, release that. God's gonna bring names and faces even up to, to your mind right now of people you need to forgive, people you need to walk closer in love with. Just surrender that. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. Make it right right now. Come to the table. Confess it to God. Release it by faith. And Lord, we thank you that you are all powerful, that you are all loving, and we want to be receivers of that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's receive this morning. Amen. Next week, Dr. Richard Poor is going to be with us, and he'll be speaking. Uh, by the way, happy Thanksgiving. You guys have a happy Thanksgiving. We will see you then next week. You're dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.